Now, back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Well, howdy, friends. It is great to be with you again. My name is Jeff Hunt. I'm the chief wagon boss of this operation, the Frontier Freedom Hour. Joining us, as usual, Jamie Erker, director of communications and producer of this show. We're hosting John Malcolm today of the Heritage Foundation. John is the vice president for the Institute for Constitutional Government, director of the Mies Center and the Ed and Sherry Gilbertson Senior Legal Fellow, a powerhouse constitutional center at the Heritage Foundation. I want to encourage you to go check out the Heritage Foundation. Go to heritage.org. They are the national leader. They set the tone, the trend. They are the lead Clydesdales of this operation, of the conservative movement in America. And we like to refer to ourselves as kind of Colorado's version of the Heritage Foundation. I got the chance to meet Kevin Roberts, the new president, when he came to speak at the Western Conservative Summit. We're so grateful for the wonderful work that the Heritage Foundation does. And in fact, Jamie, you were an intern at the Heritage Foundation. Tell us a little bit about your time there, what that was like. Yeah, that's correct. So I interned in the Center for Principles and Politics, which is another department under the Institute for Constitutional Government. And my roommate, who subsequently became one of my best friends, she was interning in John's department in the Mies Center. And so with that, given that our departments were kind of partner organizations, um, we got to do exclusive internship meetings with just the Center for Principles and Politics interns and the Mies Center interns with all the legal fellows. And we got to get really an inside look as to our legal system and what it genuinely means to be standing for the original intent of the constitution in our careers. And so that was that was really how I got to know um, John initially and and just really get involved with the Heritage Foundation, which as, as you were just mentioning, Jeff, they're a fantastic organization. One of the top internships, I think in Washington DC as well. Talking with John Malcolm, who's the director of the Mies Center at the Heritage Foundation. The Mies Center works to educate government officials, the media, and the public about the Constitution and legal principles and how they affect public policy. The center was founded in 2001 and overseen until early 2013 by the conservative icon whose name it bears, former Attorney General Edwin Mies III. Now, Attorney General Mies was the winner of the Armstrong Award at the Western Conservative Summit a few years ago. That's our highest award for national conservative leadership. And in fact, we've given that to people like Dennis Prager, Robert George, Kay Coles James, the former president of the Heritage Foundation, Cal Thomas, Dr. James Dobson, really a great lineup. And Attorney General Meese flew out here, gave a great speech in Denver. We had a wonderful time with him. And we really appreciate being able to be in a relationship with notable figures like this. One of the things I absolutely love about the Western Conservative Summit, we bring folks like that to Colorado. Uh, John, what was it like to interact with Ed Meese in person? Oh, it's it's truly an honor and, uh, and a pleasure. Uh, and I have often said that other than being husband to my wife and father to my children, that the title that I've has given me the, the, the greatest uh, joy has been being the director 
of the Mies Center. And I carry with me every day a sense of responsibility that everything that we say and we do and how we comport ourselves is a reflection on a great man and try to govern myself accordingly. And I don't want your listeners, for instance, uh, to think that I'm being disrespectful by not calling him General Mies. I remember when I first met Ed Mies, which was long before I, I came to Heritage, uh, he not only insisted that I call him Ed, although I was fully prepared to call him Mr. Meese or, or General Meese, but he has since told me that he does not actually like being called General Meese. He comes from a military family. His son is a general. And he said, you know, I know the people who are, who are who deserve the title of general, and those are people who serve in our armed forces. And so he actually, he is a, a brilliant man, a kind man, and a truly humble man. You're exactly right, John. I mean, Ed Meese really did set the tone for so much modern judicial conservative engagement. And, you know, he was close to Bill Armstrong. And that was one of the great things about that award. Uh, Bill Armstrong was the former two-term U.S. senator from Colorado and helped really set the direction for where Colorado Christian University is heading as a university committed to Christ, committed to the conservative worldview. And to, so to be able to give Attorney General Edwin Meese that award was really a, a wonderful evening. Now, John, you have an article that you wrote on the upcoming U.S. Supreme Court cases in the 2022-2023 session. And I think it'd be helpful for you to kind of help us understand what these cases are, why they are so important, and how this whole process works. Because they start with oral arguments in kind of October, November, December-ish time, but then they don't release the opinions till much later, sometimes in June. We saw that with the Dobbs case and the fall of Roe v. Wade and all the controversy around that. So it helps, help us to understand these upcoming cases and why, are there, why they are so important, especially to the state of Colorado. Yeah, so, so just to sort of set the parameters, the Supreme Court begins its term with oral arguments, which is always on the first Monday in October. Uh, and they can wrap up business whenever they want to wrap up business, but they typically wrap up business at the end of June. Uh, and they can determine when they are going to issue uh, decisions. The court has granted certiorari, so they've decided to hear. So far, I think it's 25 cases. Uh, at, if you go by the last few years, they will probably end up hearing somewhere between 60 to 70, probably around 65 cases. So there's still quite a number of cases that they will decide to hear, but just haven't done so yet. They're going to have next week, starting next week, it's referred to as the long conference. So a week before they start oral arguments, they will gather together just a couple of blocks from here in the, in, in the Supreme Court, and will vote on whether to grant cert on any of the literally thousands of cert petitions that uh, have you know, gathered during the summer while they were off doing whatever it is that they were doing. So yes, they've granted about 25 cases I highlighted. I think it was seven or nine of them in my article. Uh, but there's still another 40 cases or so that they will decide to hear. And, and, and those of us who are SCOTUS watchers, Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS watchers uh, are eagerly waiting to see what comes out of the long uh, conference. So they've already decided to hear. I mean, last year was just a 
a blockbuster. There was not only the, the Dobbs case that overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. You had the Bruin case, the very significant uh, Second Amendment case. You had a couple of very important religious liberty case cases, one out of Maine, uh, Carson v. Macon, another involving Coach Kennedy, you know, the Bremerton uh, case. Uh, and there are several already uh, that are on the court's docket that are very significant. You mentioned uh, earlier one emanating out of Colorado. That's an important case for the, well, it has religious liberty undertones, uh, but it's a free speech case. I'll explain why in a minute. Probably the biggest case that's one that's gotten the most attention so far are two uh, racial preferences cases. They involve challenges to the admissions policies of Harvard University or Harvard College and then the University of North Carolina. One is a private university, Harvard College. The other is a public university, University of North Carolina. Both explicitly have racial preferences playing a heavy thumb on the scale in their admissions policies. And the court is being asked to reconsider a 2003 decision, Grutter versus Bollinger, uh, in which the court upheld University of Michigan Law School's admissions policy that had racial preferences, saying that it had to be narrowly tailored. They had to show that a race neutral um, plan wouldn't somehow achieve their objective. And their objective was to have a more you know, diverse uh, student body, which the court deemed to be a compelling government interest. The court is being asked to reconsider that. Uh, the court said at the time, look, you can have this as a slight thumb on the scale, but it has to be part of a holistic approach. You can't end up having a de facto quota system. And the challengers in the cases involving Harvard and University of North Carolina have said these are de facto quota systems uh, that, if, that dramatically favor uh, African-American applicants and dramatically disadvantage Asian uh, applicants. Uh, the challengers lost in the courts below, uh, but they're making a fairly compelling case uh, that this really is a quota system and that having uh, a diverse student body uh, is not such a compelling uh, uh, government interest that, that we should allow either the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, or Title VI, which prohibits race discrimination uh, in programs that accept federal funds, uh, that those should not be permitted and that we should have a race-neutral Constitution and that Title VI should be applied according to uh, the letter of the law. No racial discrimination if you receive federal funds. So those are very, very significant cases. Uh, I think that those will come out uh, in a way that is pleasing to conservatives. Uh, they haven't always trusted in some, in, in some of these cases, Chief Justice John Roberts, but Chief Justice John Roberts has been very strong uh, in condemning racial preferences. And in a case called Parents Involved, went so far uh, as to say that the way to stop racial discrimination is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. So those are, those are the cases that have gotten the most attention. There's, uh, I'll, I'll talk about the case emanating out of Colorado. That is uh, 303 Creative. John, we're right up against a hard break here, so we'll get to that right after these messages. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour. 